Freedom is a powerful theme. And the reason um, that gripped me is because it contains such passion for the idea of freedom, doesn't it? And, and I want to argue today, as we come to this particular text, that Paul is no less passionate when it comes for the theme, when it comes to the theme of, of freedom. Let me, um, let me start here because what do we mean when we talk about freedom? Um, spiritually, because we're not talking about politically here. And, and I, I want to just, because as we read through this passage where, where Paul is incredibly passionate about not losing freedom in Christ, what does that mean? And, and I, just, I just want to unpack with you just three aspects of it as, as we kind of plunge into the text. The, the first one is this. There is a, what we might call a, a whole positional element, who we are. We are freed from the penalty of sin and declared righteous in Christ. Do do, do you know how important that is? What do you see when you look at me up here right now? You see a guy with a family, with all of his foibles and weaknesses and all those kinds of things. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what you see. Maybe what you don't see is that positionally, I am in Christ. Um. I will never be condemned for my sin. Because I'm in Jesus, God looks at me and says, Finkbeiner is righteous. You may laugh at that, okay? But that's what God says because I'm united to Jesus. God looks at me and says, forgiven, redeemed. That's our position, folks. And we, we can never allow anything to move us away from that freedom we have. Do you see that? So there's a positional element. There's also a relational element. One of the things we see in Galatians, you can also read it in Romans, is that we are brought into this intimate relationship with God so that we call him daddy. And so relationally, we could say who we love. We are freed from false gods, from the demonic world, all those things. So that we can experience intimacy with God because of Christ through the Spirit. It's not just like that I'm positionally secure in Christ. And I am. And and if that's all I got, that would be great. But relationally, I have been brought near to God. Do you see that? I mean, that is part of freedom. All of my life, I was in, before I knew Christ, I was enslaved to other things. Caught up in a world that was trying to find answers to life. And when I came to Christ, for the first time in my life, I was able to actually live in relationship with God, which is the way I was designed. And so there's a whole relational element to freedom where I actually can know God and be known by him. And thirdly, there's an ethical element. We are freed from the power of sin so as to live out God's design in Christ through the Spirit. And Tim's going to actually unpack this in greater detail next week. But it's, it's just, sometimes, sometimes people, when you hear the word freedom, I've heard people say before, like, hey, man, freedom means I can do what I want. What I want. No, 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 no. 
In the spiritual realm, freedom means I get to experience what God has always designed for me, which I could never do on my own. I get to, not, not by myself, because he's working in me. And so it changes the way I relate to my world and to people around me, and I'm free to be able to do that. So as we work through chapter 5 here, verses 1 to 15, that's the definition I'm kind of working off of when it comes to freedom. Do you understand it? Do you see how important that is? Okay. So, so let's, let's kind of talk our way through. So living as God's liberated children, what does it entail? I'm going to just suggest to you two things. First of all, it means to enjoy God's gift of freedom. Don't ever abandon it. And we'll look at the second point in just a moment. Now, now when I say enjoy, sometimes the word, I, I, I'm using it in a special way. Sometimes when we see the word enjoy, you know, we're just thinking like, hey, man, I just love ice cream or, or something along those things. I, I'm not thinking of it quite in those terms. When I say enjoy God's gift of freedom, what I mean is this. As we sang about today, do we find all of our joy in him? So, 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 so we are just enraptured with the fact that I am free in Christ. And enjoy that freedom. Be obsessed with that freedom. Find your satisfaction in that freedom. Enjoy it. And don't ever allow anybody to cause you to walk away from it. That's Paul's passion. Listen to what he says. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Paul, as we've been looking at with the Galatian church, is talking to believers who are struggling with the fact because they've been told by somebody else, Christ is not enough, you need add-ons. It's got to be Christ plus, it can't be Christ alone. And, and although their situation is different than our situation in our day, we still struggle with that, don't we? Christ plus. And, 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 Jesus said, and, and Paul says in this passage, oh no, it's got to be Christ alone. I don't want you slipping back and saying, I've also got to become Jewish. We've got to be circumcised. We've got to go through all the rituals. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to. No, no, Paul says, no, it's never Christ plus. It's always Christ alone. Okay? And, and as he works through this, what he's going to say here in verses 2 running down to verse 13a is, you can't mix them. Folks, grace plus works equals what? Always equals works. It doesn't equal grace. That's what Paul says in Romans 4. If you take grace alone and mix it with what I do and ritual and to be accepted with God, if you ever do that, if it's grace plus works, the equal is never grace. It is always works. So grace must be grace alone. Listen to what he says here in verse 2. And he's passionate. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision... Christ will be of no benefit to you. Do, do, do you see? You can't have both, can you? Do, do you see that? I testify again. I mean, Paul's saying, let me, let me emphasize this. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision 
that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. These these are hard words, are they not? But can you see that he's at least saying this? You can't have them both. You can't say, I want to be under a system where it's by grace, through faith, alone in Christ, empowered by Spirit. I want that. Plus, I want to add other tag-ons to that. I like to have both. And Paul says in passage, you either have to choose that or you have to choose that. You can't have both. And if you choose a system that's about what you do and not, prime, not solely what he's done, solely what he's done. Because the Judaizers are happy with a the mix. They just don't want the solely part. Then you've stepped back into a system in which now, if you want to actually live by that system, you've got to do it perfectly. And you have removed yourself from there to here. Now, I have to handle one thing pastorally as you read this passage. There are some faith traditions that will teach that you can lose your salvation. Okay? Like you can... Be a Christian and then not be a Christian and then maybe be a Christian again, not be a Christian, those kinds of things. I would want to argue very strongly from the scriptures that that's not the case. You, you You can't lose the life of God once he's inside of you and he's forgiven you. You can't. However, Paul's not here so much explaining it from that angle. What he's saying here is this. When you look around at people who make professions of faith, Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then over a period of time, you talk to them later and you say, hey, how's it going? Uh, You know, that Jesus thing, I don't know. I mean, sort of. But I kind of just believe in this good God who's nice and blah, blah, blah. And you go to yourself, like, what happened? Did they lose it? Or did they never have it to start with? And the fact that they didn't continue with it indicated that they never had it to start with. Which is exactly what John will say in 1 John. They were not of us. Because if they were of us, they would have continued with us. Do you see? I mean, a true Christian believes. A believer believes. And he believes and he believes and he believes and he believes. And it doesn't mean you can't doubt for a period of time and lapse and struggle. Yes, everybody knows that. But as a pattern of living, if I move from this... To this, and this is the defining pattern of my life, I was never a Christian. Okay? Doesn't mean we can't struggle as Christians. I get all that. We look, we wonder, we step in. We Yeah, I get all that. But this is the defining way we understand our lives. And so Paul looks at a church and he says, guys, 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 do you realize you can't straddle this thing. It doesn't work that way. You either have to choose that or that. And if you choose that, it spells one thing, condemnation. There's no way you can ever add up. Please don't add to Christ. And what he does beautifully in verses 5 and 6, in making his argument, he says, okay, 
So the one option is to come into a system where it's all about what Doug Finkbeiner does. And what you will find is that you, are co you constantly come up short. There's another option. It's the option that's described in verses 5 and 6. Look at how he explains it. Four. And, and, and all the way through in verses 2, 3, and 4, he uses the word you. Now he's going to switch to the word we. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, yeah, there we go, means anything but faith working through love. Do you see how he defines this? What is the Christian life? It is a life by grace through faith in Christ, isn't it? And it is a life that has this hope in what God will ultimately do. He's already given it to me now, and I will ultimately experience it then. And it is a hope that is driven by the Spirit which He has already given me. Do, do you see that? He says, there is this life, you crank it out on your own. There is this life where I have faith in Christ. And empowered by the Spirit, knowing what He has done, I'm awaiting what He will do. And while I'm waiting, this faith manifests itself in love toward everybody around me. Folks, which, which lifestyle do you want? Why, why would we embrace this and, 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 and want to dabble in anything like that? He's all we need. Do you see? And people tack on all kinds of things. I, I know so many people that are sincere in their religion, but it's all about ritual that you have to do. You have to do this, and you have to do that, and you have to do this. And then, and then I often ask them, and, and what happens when you die? Will you go to heaven? And what do they normally say? I hope so. This is nothing but a hope so religion. Because how do you ever know if you perform enough? There's entire systems of nothing but ritual. There's entire religious systems that are driven by... Personal standards that are not clearly revealed in the Scripture. I think I told you before, I, I'm in Lancaster County. And um, we got a whole faith tradition, the Amish community. And uh, um, it's pretty clear that, like, if I was going to go to an Amish church, this is not going to cut it. These colors, man, I know you're looking like you're pretty bland, Finkbinder. But they wouldn't say that. <laughs> they would think I'm lighting the place up, okay? I mean, it's, but, but do, do you see, it's an entire tradition that says there is no acceptance unless you look like us on the outside. It could be ritual. It, it, it could be personal standards. And, you know, one of the things I've never seen in Lancaster County, but I would love to see, I will often, like, drive up to uh, the hardware store, and they've got places for cars to park, and then they've got a place for buggies to pull up to, you know, and I think that's, that's kind of cool, you just have to watch the, um, um, some of the droppings in the area, but, but, so, but it's, at least it's cool from a distance, 
Um, I would love to see that at a church in Lancaster County. I would love to pull up to a church in Lancaster County, see a Toyota Camry next to a buggy. That would be pretty cool to me. Because they won't allow those things to keep what is central, which is central, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But entire traditions are driven by ritual. You've got to have my ritual. You've got to have my standards. You've got to have my specific experience. Folks, beware of any of those kinds of things. And Paul says, Christ alone. Look at what he says here in verse 7. In and, and, and verses 7 uh, down through verse 13a, um, Paul, Paul is very emotional here. I mean, there, there are times when, when he's, he's very confident and hopeful, and then there's other times when he's just very, very frustrated. And Frank, frankly says some pretty hard things. We're going to read one of these verses. You're going to go like, Paul said that? Yup. We've got to kind of talk our way through it. But yeah, yeah. And, and here's what I mean by this. One of the things that strikes me as interesting, you don't always pick it up in all your English versions. But, but if, if, if you just read through Galatians in the Greek, one of the things you would find is a whole series of, of uncompleted sentences which sometimes are kind of smoothed out in the English. And, and I get that. I understand why people do that. And what I find to be powerful about that is when you read through the book of Galatians, what you find is Paul is emotionally involved and he can sometimes start a sentence and maybe not quite complete it and move on to another thought because he's upset and he's passionate and he's concerned. And you, you see that in these verses. So listen to what he says. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Bakers, you know that, right? Ladies, I've never baked a thing in my life. But those that do, tell me if you put a little leaven in, it does an amazing thing to bread. Fair enough. I've heard about it. My wife has done it. I have never done it. But I I have reaped the benefits of that. Okay? But but where you can put something little in, and before you know it, that thing just kind of permeates the whole. And Paul says, Galatians, you had been persuaded with the truth of Jesus Christ. You were running well. And somebody came along and said, hey, add to Jesus. Oh, what, what, what? He's not enough. You need something else. Try the ritual. Try the standards. Try, the ex- try, try, try. Come on, come, come. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's what you find happening. And Paul says, guys, Come on, think about this. What are you doing? Don't be persuaded to go there because the problem with false systems, it will eventually permeate and destroy the whole. That, 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 that's always the way it works. His words of encouragement come in verse 10. I 
Have confidence in the Lord that you will adopt no other view. But the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. So Paul begins by looking at their experience. And he says, you were here. You started listening to that. And you're, you're not quite there, but you're like, you're really moving this way. But Paul says, and what's interesting, again, you don't always pick it up in the English translations. The word obey there in, back in verse 7 is actually also the word persuade. And, 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 and Paul is saying, um, you were persuaded in living out this. They're now trying to persuade you here. But I'm persuaded because I really believe you know Jesus Christ that you'll ultimately stay here. <laughs> Do you see? So he's using kind of a play on words all the way through this passage. Paul says, don't listen to them. Can I speak for just a moment to some of our young people? Perhaps you're in high school. Perhaps you're in college. You will hear a whole bunch of persuasive talk out here. You will. And, and, and yes, it may be coming from secularism, not from religiosity. I get that. I get that. I get that. But there are all voices around us that are beckoning to us who are walking the faith walk with Christ and somebody out here is yelling, that is not enough. You're missing out on something. Try this. Add this. Do this. Am I right? We live in a world where there's all kinds of other voices beckoning us and trying to persuade us to their position. And Paul will say, be careful as you walk in this direction. Because it will always spell disaster. But Paul says, because I know at least some of you have the spirit within, I, I really am persuaded that you'll stay here. Those of you that truly know Christ... you'll you'll turn away from that. And I I tell young people this. There is nothing else out there. There is nothing else out there but error, falsehood, and all kinds of consequences which will only ultimately hurt you. Stay away from those false voices. I know they're alluring. I know they can have good arguments. I remember my own experience. I, I, I did. I ended up doing my doctoral work at University of Penn in Philadelphia. I was in the religious department, and I didn't have one professor. Most of my professors were agnostics. Can you believe that? They're teaching me in, in the religious department, and most of them were agnostics or atheists. It was crazy. I mean, it was just... I mean, if I, if, if I, if I gave you the, the resume of the people that were there, brilliant people whose lives were like, wow, just, just incredible kinds of things... And, and I remember sometimes in my schooling, huh, that's kind of interesting. Well, it's a pretty smart person, huh? No, 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 no. And, 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 and I, I, just, I, I just remember in my own life this kind of wavering sense I had. But you know what I found? There's nothing there. The more I got to know them as persons, their lives were a wreck. Their personal lives were a wreck. Really smart people whose lives were a wreck. 
Smartness and wisdom are not the same thing. Do you see? And this text says, don't be allured by all those other voices, whether it's religiosity or secularism, whatever it is, don't be allured by that. Christ is all you need. And then Paul has to deal with some allegations. Because the, 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 the false, these false teachers, these agitators, the, the, these outsiders are, are saying things about Paul. And apparently, I mean, we, we have to kind of piecemeal this together. But apparently, this was one of the arguments of the false teachers. The, these Judaizers coming in. They were saying something like this. Well, you know that Paul guy. <laughs> oh, Paul. Look, if you really talk to Paul at the core, he believes just like us. No, he does. He does. He, you remember before he quote-unquote became a Christian? He was going around preaching, everyone has to be circumcised, you have to be Jewish, blah, blah, blah. He believes that today too. It's just that he's trying to soften it and get more converts, so he kind of changes his message when he's around Gentiles. But did, did you know? And, of course, it hasn't happened at this point, but they could have said it happens a little bit later. Did you know that he ends up having, he's going to end up having uh, Timothy circumcised? See, that's my point. Paul believes you've got to be circumcised because he had Timothy circumcised. Right, come on. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're arguing like this. Yeah, you can't. And, and Paul says this. Oh, no, 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 no. Look at what Paul says in verse 11. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, because that's what some of them were saying. Why am I being persecuted? <laughs> They're saying, ah, oh, he really hasn't changed. He's just, he just kind of adjusts his message a little bit. But he's still really, oh, yeah? Paul goes, do you know, I've been almost killed. I've been stoned. I've been beat up. And people chase me all around because I really believe that this is all you need. Yeah, now, don't tell me that I'm still doing the same thing. I'm almost dead. Because of what I do. And he says something else. Paul says, don't you ever make that allegation about me, not only because of what I've experienced, but because of who Jesus is. Look at what he says here at the end of verse 11. If that was the case, then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. You know what he's saying? If it is not Christ alone, If it is Christ plus, whatever that plus is, experience, rituals, um, standards, whatever it is, you just just put it in there. If If you add to Christ, what you end up doing is you diminish his work on the cross. You see, the cross is a stumbling block. Because the, the, the cross says this, you can't. Nothing you do can. All your works at the end of the day will leave you condemned by God. And you know what? Self-righteous people don't like that. We're Americans. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We conquer the West, right? We're pioneers, right? You know what I'm saying? And you're telling me we can't? No, America can't. No, you can't. The stumbling block of the cross is that only God can. And this God, 
God the Father sent God the Son, and God the Son experienced the curse for everybody in here so that you and I could go free. And Paul says, do you think that I want to do anything to diminish the wonder of the cross? Yes, it's a stumbling block. Yes, I know people have to at some point get over the fact I can't do a thing, and they can finally step in and they say, but only you can, Christ, and I want you. And, and I stepped over that, and I want you. And in that moment, they are swept into the kingdom of God. They are a person of faith. They have the Holy Spirit. Heaven is their home. They're being transformed. It will never be the same. But you got to get over that stumbling block, don't you? And Paul says, if you add I can to only he can, you are diminishing the essence of the cross. Wow, that's strong stuff. And then he says this. It's in the text. Got to read it. I try to handle it delicately. Verse 12. Would that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Or like the J.P. Phillips translation says, it's really a paraphrase, but it says something like this. I hope that those that use the knife for circumcision, I hope the knife slips. I mean, that, and you go to yourself, is this Paul? <laughs> I mean, Paul, could you be a little bit more delicate on some of these things? And there may be more going on here. We, don't, we, we have what we have. But at least I want to tell you this. When the very essence of the gospel is at stake, Paul has no time for niceties. He will not allow the gospel truth to be violated. And yes, back in chapter 1, Tim preached about this. If anybody teaches anything else, let them be what? That's pretty strong language too, isn't it? And, and, and in a passage where he's going to be talking all about love in just a couple verses, he talks about let the knife slip. And it's Paul looking at a whole system saying, look, if you guys are going to continue to teach that and try to pervert the essence of the gospel, it is best that you don't only experience judgment, as he says in verse 10, then. It is best that you begin experiencing that judgment now. And maybe, maybe what Paul's getting at, and this I have no idea about, I'm just throwing it out. Don't know this for sure. It does strike me as interesting that Deuteronomy 23.1 tells us anybody who's been castrated or mutilated can never enter into the assembly of God. And I've wondered sometimes with this passage if perhaps what part of what Paul is saying, along with the judgment theme, I get that, is for them to experience, even in their own system, exclusion. Because if there's any hope for them not to face ultimate judgment, it might be if they face current judgment and recognize this is all wrong. I don't know that for sure, but it's what I've thought, for what it's worth. So I, did, I just kind of throw it out. One thing's for sure, Paul doesn't mess around with the truth of the gospel. He just doesn't, folks. If we lose the gospel, we're done. We, there's no reason to meet. It is the gospel which just centralizes. The gospel is everything for us, folks. 
please. So, strong words. All right. So, Paul. Living as God's liberated children, it means to enjoy God's gift of freedom. Do not abandon it. There is nothing else out there. Don't listen to the voices. Don't, don't, don't. Everything you need is in Christ. Don't abandon it. Secondly, he says, live out the design for freedom. Don't misuse it. Look what he says in verse 13. Brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So, so you could almost kind of see that they would get to this particular point where guys would say like, hey man, I am free. I am not condemned. I have the Holy Spirit within me now. Wow. Like I can do, right? You can see the people would start to move in those directions. And Paul says, let me qualify that. Because true freedom means that you're actually able to begin to leave, live out God's design for humanity from the beginning. Do you see that? And that is not to go back into all kinds of sin and live my life for Doug Finkbeiner selfishly doing this and doing this. No, 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 no. Freedom is then being able to say, I'm secure in Christ. I have this rich relationship with this God I love. God, let me now live out your design in my relationship with others. Do you see? So don't use your freedom for that. No, no. Instead, love others. And he's going to give two reasons in the passage. First one comes in verse um, 13. I'm sorry, verse, verse 14, second one in verse 15. For the whole law is fulfilled in obeying one word. In this statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I've got to explain this to you. Please stay with me. Because I, 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 I know one of the challenges going through Galatians is it gets pretty dense theologically sometimes. I get that. But stay with me because it's rich truth. All right. All the way through, because he, he, for just a second, look back at chapter 5. In verse 3, he says, if you go back under the old system, you're obligated to keep the whole law. Here, the verse says, the one obeying this fulfills the law. So you go like, well, what's going on here? Here's the beauty of it. The law was given to point us to Christ. We know that, right? But the law also reveals for us who God is who we are in relationship to God, our failures before God, the importance of being in covenantal relationship with God, the, the, the importance of how we should be responding to God. There's all kinds of things. It reveals to us some wonderful things, doesn't it? The problem is not the Old Testament law in itself. The problem is making it the end game. Because it was always meant to be a signpost that said, all these things that you're reading about, some of them will, will, will actually be fulfilled in Jesus in such a way that they'll, they'll, they'll go away. We, 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 we don't do the dietary thing anymore. We, there's a whole bunch of ceremonial, they just, they just all go away. So it was never meant to be an end game. It was always meant to be fulfilled in Jesus. So, so but you say, yeah, but think, Finer, aren't there also like these kind of moral, like Ten Commandments stuff, right? These precepts which are kind of just, Reflect who God is in every age. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. And what Paul says is this. We as Christians 
do not go back under the Old Testament law covenant as that which rules us. No. We live in Christ and in Christ alone. But in living in Christ and Christ alone, all of those moral indicatives and imperatives and things that were so critical for God's people, they can kind of come through to us on a horizontal level by love your neighbor, Leviticus 19.18. And guess what? That part can only be experienced in the way God wants it to be experienced by those who know Christ and are empowered by His Spirit to become more and more like Jesus, who perfectly lives out the love command. Do you see? So, I don't do the law, but I fulfill the law. Oh, because you're really something, Finkbinder. Not at all, because I'm connected to the one that only has, and through His Spirit, He's making it a greater reality in my life. Do you see? So, so, so Paul it does not disparage the law. He just wants the law to be understood in its place for its purposes. Does that make sense? All right. So, Paul says the beauty is when you become enraptured with the fact that God is for me, he's freed me from the penalty of sin. He's given me his spirit so I can begin to actually live a different life. God, I want to move out into all my relationships and do something which I cannot do of my own. And I want to love. I want to be freed to love. And when I do, I fulfill the law. Make sense? And something else, Paul says, if you choose not to experience Express your, your, your um, freedom in that way. Look at verse 13, uh, 15. If you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. These are all languages from the animal world. Do you know that? Two animals that are next to each other. This animal takes a bite out of that one. That one tears that one. They bite, tear it. Till what? They're both dead. Paul says, why would you not want to live as you're designed when in living as you're designed, you honor God, you fulfill the law, and you prevent those kinds of experiences both for you and the other people? Now, I'm going to show you a picture. I, hes I hesitated to share this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I was working on the Internet. And I, I don't remember how I came across this yesterday, but, but, but I thought it was kind of interesting. And it seemed this whole amateur, uh, uh, animal imagery of what's going on here. So here we go. Hold on. There it is. Oh, it's awful, isn't it? Somebody took this picture. I, you know, I've got, got to get pretty close for this. And if, you, if, you, if, I, if it was a little bit broader, what you would see is it's a cobra. A bow constrictor has actually put a cobra within its grip. Can you see that? And the cobra, right before it dies, bites the bow constrictor. Both die. One is constricting. I'm going to have you in the other. <coughs> And they both die. And that is what Paul's saying here. You go around saying, hey, hey, I'm free in Jesus, man. I'll do what I want around you. If you don't like it, walk. Or I don't know, something like that. You know, I can do all kinds of things. I don't, care, I don't care who you are, which you are. And you're saying the same thing to me, and I'm going after you, and you're going after me. Before you know it, we're the king cobra and the bow constrictor. And everybody loses. Paul says, 
When I talk about freedom, Paul says, I'm not talking about living the way you want. Talking about living the way God's designed you to be. And that makes all the difference in the world. So we might say, in conclusion, and I got a little quote here from Luther. I thought it was a great one. Luther has these zingers that you have to think about a couple times. But, but, but the prop is this. Live as God's liberated children by enjoying his gift of freedom. It is a gift. Enjoy it. And living out his design for freedom. Luther said this. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. You're like, that seems kind of weird. Oh, no. He has this balance, doesn't he? He's living under a system, a papal system, where they are saying, rituals and all these things, you got to do all this kind of stuff and listen to this guy at the top... And Luther looks and says, oh, no. Oh, no. It is Christ alone. And so when he says free Lord of all, he doesn't mean there's not a Lord above him. But there's no man that's going to be over him with those kinds of traditions. Forget it. I am not subject to that ritualistic system. It's only Christ alone. Do you see? But then he goes on to say this. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all. Subject to all. I am now freed... To love. And that's the Christian life. Pretty much in a nutshell. Where are you with all that? It may be that you're with us here today and you have never actually made that step from whatever system you're under. Whatever it is. It could be secularism. I don't care. I mean, I care, but whatever. But you've never made that step to Christ alone. We would implore you to come today. It may be that you're here, or at least you profess to be here. And you say, I've heard some really interesting things about blank which diminishes that. And I implore you, there is nothing there. I've known too many people who have gone into secularism, all kinds of systems. You track with their life, they get to their end of their life, and they have nothing, nothing. There is nothing there. So if you're dabbling, do not be persuaded. Return to what is true. You say, Finkbinder, I'm here. I'm not messing with that stuff at all. Truth right down the line. But man, I got my rights. You are freed to love. To live out God's design. So I don't know where you are. Maybe you need to move this way. Maybe you need to turn around and come back here. Maybe you're here and you're kind of working your side of the street. This text calls us to remain here and to live out God's design in a relationship with others. And folks, if we as a church live like that,
Can you imagine what that will do in the world around us? That, that is our prayer as leaders. We, 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 just, we so want people to just be obsessed. I don't think that's too strong. To be obsessed with the gospel so that it changes everything that we do. Father, would you do your good work through your spirit in our hearts? For those that may be lost and have never taken the step of faith into a relationship with Christ. For those that are dabbling with other things. And Father, for those of us that are secure in truth, but would like to actually use that freedom for ourselves, Lord, free us, empower us to be the people you've designed us to be. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.